Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every Hi, everyone. Kristen Snutter-Walker here. We're going to do a little bit of a twist on a show. It'll be uh, for mental health business and also about some other things that we're going to talk about with my guest, Roy Alabado. Roy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thank you. So tell our listeners a little bit about your background in mental health. Um, my name is Dr. Roy Alabado, and um, I have been in the business in managed care working at a company in Philadelphia um, called Community Behavioral Health. And it was just, it was, um, it began in 1997. And um, the genesis of the company started from um, Estelle Richmond. And it basically was a managed care, a behavioral health system that was for Medicaid and Medicare. Okay, so you've been there that long? No, I mean, I was there for about 10 years, but it was very interesting in terms of how it was started and the services that they um, provided and how inventive the company was as well. Mm, okay, well, let's talk about that because usually we don't use terms like inventive when it comes to mental health organizations, especially managed care. That That's a high compliment. So right, right. Give, give our listeners an idea of what you mean by that. Well... Um, I thought it was inventive because it was a managed care system that worked with the provider network in Philadelphia. And it provided services. First thing, it, it, it's not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it helped the quality of the providers within the network. It also provided a gap where services were needed within the system from children's services to case management. It developed a system for, you know, high recidivism um, clients coming in constantly through the ERs. It helped manage the money because fee for service is, um, is running out. And so it managed the money a lot better than the government would have done. Mm. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it was, it was good for that system at that point. Yeah. Right. I remember when 
you know, we, we started dealing with things like, you know, managed care organizations in the state of North Carolina, as an example. And there was a huge uproar. I mean, there were people, you know, counselors fighting with each other, not fist fighting, obviously, but verbally fighting with each other at conferences about how awful this was and, you know, all these things going back and forth. It was a stressful, stressful time. So it sounds like you guys or that organization when it came to you know, the MCOs. Yeah. At some point you have to manage it because, you know, the money's going to be running out. And also too, it's, you know, the providers were just charging and charging and charging and it just needed to be managed a lot more efficiently. Right. So it was costly to the taxpayers as well as, um, you know, the quality of service, access to service, um, so all these elements where the company was made in it kind of helped the environment a lot better, meaning the provider network, the relationship between the insurance and the provider, and also to um, c- the consumers. One of the things that interested me about speaking with you is that, you know, we hear, I'll hear things from different people that work as an employee of a treatment center, an addiction treatment center, as an example, and it's always, you know, we don't get paid enough. They don't care about treatment. It's but a bunch of number crunching. And, and I always think, cause I'm, I know, you know, from being in the business side of mental health, it's not that black and white. So I wanted to, you know, have this discussion with you because I'd like to help. Yes, there are things that are wrong, of course, but it doesn't help when you are so one-sided about something and you don't see the cost of every little thing. As an example, someone will complain, well, they just cut my pay or they send me home and, and five minutes before it was, oh, I've been watching Netflix movies and on Facebook all day at work. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they're paying your salary or your hourly rate. And if they don't have enough patience to warrant you know, you being there because you're just they don't have enough people coming in. And so you have all this time to be on Facebook and watch Netflix, then they can't, you know, it's going to cut into patient care and the cost of patient care to keep you on salary when there's nothing for you to do. So I'm always like, let's look at the other side of these things too, you know? Yeah. Um, So physical health and behavioral health or mental health is a lot different. The big trend right now with physical health is really price transparency, the term price um, transparency, where, you know, when you, when you go to a doctor, right, um, hospital A, and you get a total knee, you know, a TKR, total knee replacement, one hospital might charge you 17000 And if you go to hospital B, another hospital might charge you 61000 so there's a disparity, right? There's a, there's a gap in price. And so with insurance, whether depending on what type of insurance you have, the insurance pays for the price of what they want to pay. And then the consumer or the patient is left to pay for the difference, right? So now what has happened is that um, the government has kind of initiated this, this, this kind of like, price it's a price list of different prices for different types of services Mm -hmm. it's better for the consumer right but in some way 
the consumer is also kind of stuck because they are only obligated or um, you know a position to go to a particular network right. right it's a very complex system right so you have the consumer the insurance company and then also to the provider network who's providing the service so and that's why it's just it, it really lands on the consumer where it's the quality of service the the how expensive it is it's catastrophic where these prices are just ridiculous and then you know it's just one hit at a hospital and, and you're you're totally broke right 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 on average about as a single person it's about eleven thousand dollars a year about ten to eleven thousand dollars not just even hitting a service meaning you're paying premiums and um you have to you know you know, make it up to your deductible and for an individual. And then for a family, it's about 20 grand, right? Not right. Even having services. So, you know, um, having premiums and also to your deductible. So it's quite expensive. And then it's left for the consumer if any, any services were provided that the consumer is responsible sometimes for the difference. So now this price transparency has left us to, to at least understand how much is this going to cost. Right. There's, there's a secrecy um, between these hospitals and these providers about pricing because we don't really talk about it. You don't know. You just got to get the service done. Right. Exactly. So um, that's really kind of like this, this conversation that we're having and, 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 and help people understand about how, you know, um, just a broad lens of how managed care works related to the consumer and then also to, to the provider. So in terms of, I, I understand how, you know, it's different. What, what does it look like then in terms of mental health services or addiction treatment services as opposed to what you just described for physical right. health? So behavioral health is kind of like the stepdaughter, you know, yeah. right? So. Yep. Um, so the services, um, access to service at times, um, you know, you can't get an outpatient therapy appointment until like maybe three weeks after you've, you've, you've gotten out. Marginalized groups have also had a lower quality of service because of dictation. Insurance usually dictates where you go, right? And also to the the services that are provided in terms of so we dealt with access the quality and um the service i would say there's a gap in service there's a gap okay. in service yeah there's a gap in service that's why for example someone can come in well even getting an appointment to have an assessment for right. with the psychiatrist as an example can take three months and that's if you know somewhat of the system that's right and then getting your first appointment after that initial visit where it's just an assessment um, can take another several months that's right and the psychiatrist um, might have um, a larger copay than your physical health right and um, based on that the medication Exactly. We'll get into that too. But let's go back to that piece where you know people have a lack of understanding around 
what all goes into the other side, the managed care side, the, you know, the ones that are accused of not caring because all they care about is counting dollars. Um, how do you, you know, you've worked on that side. So how do you answer that or have a piece of that conversation when you're talking with someone who's never worked on that side, they've worked on the treatment side and they have no understanding of how the money flows, why things are charged the way they are, how insurance pays, how, you know, what goes into running a business, all of that stuff. They have no idea, but they're making these, you know, these judgments. How do you, how do you take part in those kind of conversations? Um, so, you know, we had monthly meetings with various providers. Um, let me just give you an example. So there's, um, it's, it's, it's termed the crisis response center where there are designated hospitals within the city of Philadelphia, where they, um, people can go to get treated and assessed, right, for a psychiatric evaluation. So we have high utilization um, consumers that come in, and it's, it's a revolving door. Um, one comes in through Temple, was recommended a service, AMA's out of that service, goes to, you know, University of Penn, comes in, gets evaluated, a recommendation was done, right? And um, the, the client AMA's out or relapses, it's just a revolving door and it's costing, you know, taxpayers so much money. Right. So, so we decided to really, I, I, I thought it was great where it's based on medical necessity. So there's criteria, right? And um, based on that and based on history and based on current issues and based on, you know, the current mental status, right? It was a very specific assessment um, and presentation for the client and the managed care to decide what specific treatment was deemed medically appropriate at the least restrictive manner, based on the history and based on the current issues and et cetera. And, um, and we, you know, we decided a lot of innovative things. So, you know, for instance, um, they developed a 23 hour bed, which was an observation. And um, they, clients came in, um, they were assessed, they were pre-certed, um, they were evaluated, and they had, you know, a urine drug screen, so we knew what kind of drugs they were using. And um, we, instead of giving them a day, right? or a denial, we actually gave them a 23 observation bed and they had to, you know, reevaluate the client at a certain amount of hours and give us an update. And I thought it was inventive because the provider still got paid, they weren't denied, but then it was a better assessment in terms of finding, you know, a more appropriate level of care. And so based on that, they were reassessed and they were, you know, pre-certed again, reevaluated. And then we, we, we agreed on specific level of care. So I thought it was a win-win situation for both the provider mm -hmm. and then the consumer, as well as also to the managed care organization. Was part of your job explaining why things are done the way they are to people that worked in the industry that didn't have your view of things? You know, it's, it's hard for someone to um, have the, your same perspective because you're on the other end. Right. Right. Um, but you know, we, we laid guidelines 
We had technical assistance. And eventually the provider system slowly kind of understood the same language, really. Okay. There, there were also other providers just didn't get it, right? Right. You know, I always recommended a um, performance-based kind of like contract because, you know, provider A, who did always did the right things and followed the rules and X, Y, Z, was still getting the same price as provider B, who was not up to their standards, right? Right. And that's, that's where I kind of felt that, you know, different providers should have a different rate based on their performance. So give us an example of a provider A, the one that, you know, is at standards or above standards. What, what kinds of things would they do to meet the standard? Um, you know, um, utilization review was um, up to par. Um, documentation, compliance, training, you know, adequate staff providing services, limited, you know, episodes of basically minimal problems with the provider. So, okay. and when you're saying provider, you're talking about an agency, an, like an agency. outpatient mental health. Yeah. Okay. You're not yes. talking about providers in a single provider. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a certain group that was providing a service to a certain population. So in, in determining, so I know in some states it got to a point where funding that went to specific providers was funneling through the MCOs and MCOs, well, some of them would um, cut certain providers yes. from that list. That's right. And only go to other, and it was this big outcome. And I also thought, well, are those agencies meeting the guidelines? Is that maybe why they're getting funding? Yeah. Cut? Yeah. So, some of them didn't survive because they, they were hiring the wrong people. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. There was fraud involved. So they just didn't meet the part, you know, and they didn't survive. So, but, you know, with, within a city, every, every provider is important because, um, we need them. Right. We, we need them within the city, but if they weren't, you know, meeting the standards, then they were let go or, 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 you know, we work with them. Right. Yeah. Right. So I guess what I want, you know, listeners that are listening from the business side to understand, um, it isn't just this, oh, it's unfair. It's this government thing that's just coming and slashing because uh, treatment for people. And there's always something deeper to look at in these situations. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there, there always is. And, you know, providers um, can get innovative and, you know, try to cut corners as well. And, you know, they, they do things in order to survive really, you know? Right. Right. The margins are already slim. Yeah. The provider network doesn't pay as much, right. Compared to physical health and they're surviving. So they've gotten innovative by providing other, um, other services, um, within the gap that's not provided within within the population, there was a service called Wraparound Services. Um, right, I remember. Behavior, yeah, behavioral health services, and it was like these interventions within the environment, um, um, within the school system, 
within the home. And some of them were um, services that were just being misused because, you know, the school district wasn't providing the adequate um, education. And so this particular student needed help or assistance, right? Or sometimes, you know, it's the family that doesn't really want to take care of their own child. So they need behavioral health services. Right. So within the assessment, that needs to really kind of like, you know, sometimes we just look at the current um, symptoms rather than the underlying issues, you know. How deep did your, did the MCO that you were with, how deep did they get into working with electronic healthcare record systems? The EMR. Yeah. So um, I thought it was great because um, at that time, we, um, we worked within the network. And we actually had, for instance, a specific coding system where clients were coded, especially high recidivism clients, clients that were going in as a revolving door, right? And we targeted those clients because we needed to case manage them a lot better. You know, the presenting issues were, were basically very similar. And we hired these really intensive case managers that really knew the case. You know, for a client that initial client that presented like that, it's like, wow, you know, we would give them like so many days of psychiatric help, right? Inpatient. But for these clients that are constantly revolving, these same presenting issues were very, very common and they were similar. And these intensive case managers just knew the case. And then they were kind of like, they helped propel basically an appropriate level of care. I mean, these clients are being assessed, but they help guide the client into a, a, a better, um, you know, level of care and a better, better treatment at the least restrictive manner. What would you say is the difference now that you can see from, you know, when you first started, obviously there's a lot, but a big difference between how MCOs are working now as opposed to, you know, when you were first working um, for one. I think they got more savvy based on evidence. So it's a lot more um, treatment is based on like um, data. So they're using a lot of data more, the highs and lows of the year, number of inpatient, the level of care. So they've gotten more data and um, by working with that, um, understand the data and then um, based on that, um, you know, provide a better um, outcome for, for patient care. Okay. Well, that's good. (laughs) Do you think there's more understanding and less uh, resistance between the providers and the MCOs? Um, There's always, you know, there's always still. Always some. (laughs) There's always, I I always say um, conflict is, is um, two different belief systems. So I'm just defining it that way. Right. Right. So one, one thinks one differently and one thinks the other. So that's why there's a conflict. Hmm. Did you ever um, have people on staff? I know this wasn't their official title that were sort of the, uh, uh, the therapist or mediator, the people that could speak both languages and they sort of were the ones that would go in and, and say, okay, I hear what you're saying, provider. I hear what you're saying, MCO. And they were able to just keep the peace and 
because they could speak both languages? And is that kind of what you did? No, I, I mean, I worked in a lot of different settings. So I did utilization review. I worked in the hotline, the psych hotline, right? So, mm -hmm. so I would work during the day and I, I was a children's specialist. And then at night I would come in on a Friday sometimes and work overtime and then, and, and then work the crisis line. So um, it was, I enjoyed working the crisis line. So I would work the, the night on a Friday night once a month and get to, to hear all the presentations, you know, voluminous different presentations of why someone needs drug and alcohol and behavioral health services. Mm. Yeah. One thing that um, the company also had was it had a member service. And I think this is one innovative way where it was a part of a department where um, a group of people actually, they didn't talk to providers. They talked to clients. They were like liaisons okay. talking to clients to help them understand more, you know, get access to services, that kind of stuff. They were like liaisons, case managers, you know. I thought that was very inventive uh, for the department to, to, to develop just to have um, communication with various people. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners just so they understand, too, your educational background. So what, what is the doctor about? <laughs> so um, so I, uh, I have a master's. I, I went undergrad at Westchester University. And um, I have a Bachelor of Science in Gerontology and Communication. And then I went to St. Joe's University for a Health Administration and Health Education uh, degree. And then eventually I, I decided to get um, a Doctorate of Education in Educational okay. Leadership. So it was just, um, you know, I enjoyed healthcare and I enjoyed education. So um, it kind of married together and um, I'm in both. Um, I currently work for Jefferson Health New Jersey as a consultant in their clinical education department. I'm a college professor at the Rowan College of South Jersey and also do uh, part-time work for a uh, behavioral health, uh, a drug and alcohol uh, outpatient in New Jersey as well. Gotcha. So you're steeped in the healthcare field. Um, I am. Um, <laughs> Good. Um, we need people like you steeped in the healthcare field. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you, at least you understand the dynamics of different organizations, right. you know, and if you can right. have lens and, you know, and then talk about it, it's, it's kind of uh, welcoming to the public. Well, as our final section, which is, I think the, the fun, uh, no tension part, tell us about this book that you're a part of. So um, one of my loves in the world is to travel. And I'm a single dad, and I developed uh, a couple years ago the idea of to write a children's book about my son, uh, Bronson, who was three at the time. He's seven. And um, I decided to, do, to write a book, um, a children's book about our lives. So the three pillars is about um, food and travel, about being a single parent and the ideals and challenges of, of being um, a, a single parent because um, half the population are single parents. Yep. And last but not least, the art of parenthood, just, you know, sharing about what is, what it's like to really love your children. And I always say, you know, what your children really need is two things, quality time and love. If you spend quality time with them and you love them, 
you're good as gold. So um, the book, it's going to be a series of books. Um, it's called The Live Life Like Bronson Series, my son Bronson. And the first book is about Miami dreaming. I just I got back from Miami Monday um, to just work on details about the launch there. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Fantastic. And what's... Tell, tell our listeners again what the name of the book is. So the first book is um, Live Life Like Bronson, Miami Dreaming. <laughs> and you Love can get it at www.livelifelikebronson.com. And you can also um, get it on Amazon. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. You know, you reached out to us. I know it's Joe Mitch, who does a oh, great I job with the podcast All in Recovery. I love Joe Mitch. He is, he is, he is my friend and he's also to a little mentor and I'm his mentor. So it's symbiotic, but yeah. uh, Joe, Joe Mitch is um, a very insightful person. He's been in the drug. He's been an expert in the drug and alcohol field. And um, I love his show as well. All in recovery. So. Absolutely. And he's a wonderful human being on top of it. There's, there's another mentor that I um, also, his name is Dr. Josh Luke. He's out in California and he, he wrote a couple of books as well with X acute and also to health wealth. And he's just also been another great mentor of mine. What's the name of one of his books? It's called X acute E X A Q A C U T E and health wealth. Oh, that you gave me the names. Gotcha. I went yeah. shoo, right over my head. <laughs> yeah. So he's 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 also been a mentor of mine. So it's uh it's just it, it's great to network with those kind of people. Absolutely, people that really care that like you obviously do. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And Kristen, thank you. And absolutely, uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Now, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can't fight. Good boy.